Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. Uh, greetings, Earthlings. Today, I am here with uh, Portland filmmaker Paul Bright. Paul, what's happening? Hey, it's a beautiful, gorgeous day. I am keeping a positive attitude, even though in this film that we're shooting, uh, one of my cast members is having some serious family issues, so it may affect our shooting schedule. Ouch. Just found issues. out this morning, so it's like, okay, what do we do? Oof. But who knows? We'll find out. Right. Right. How far into it are you? Uh, well, we're uh, well. The thing is that uh, like, this could actor, you just replace this person with another actor, or do you have to go back and reshoot everything? Well, I wrote the script for this actor. Um, <laughs> I'm flying him in from Florida. I'm putting him up for a week, a little over a week. Um, so there are all these components involved. So it would be really awesome and great if he can still make it. Mm-hmm. If he needs to reschedule, then that, of course, impacts all of the other actors right. and all of the other scenes, plus all the other logistics. Right. So, hey, that just hit me this morning. Very exciting. But this is the kind of thing that great Hollywood stories are made of, too, right? Yeah, you know? except I'm not in Hollywood. I'm yeah. in Portland. <laughs> so I'm just this guy. I'm not some big studio. I can't bring in Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I can't just throw money at this. I'm yeah. an independent filmmaker. We have to be creative. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, well, Paul Bright, a lot of people who are going to be listening to this won't know who you are and what you do and how you got to be doing it. So um, are you from Portland? Actually, no. Uh, so I grew up in Los Angeles. I was discovered as an actor when I was 16, which isn't supposed to happen to people, but it happened, which was awesome. So I uh, was a union actor for the first six, seven years of my life. And then in my mid-20s, I fell madly in love with a man. And realized that Hollywood back in the 1980s was not accepting of gays in any way whatsoever. And I'd heard my agents and I'd heard casting directors saying terrible things about gays behind their back. And I didn't want people talking junk about me behind my back. I was going to say something else. But uh, anyway, so then I left L.A. trying to figure out what else I could possibly do in my life. And I tried many, many different things. I was a railroad conductor for seven years, and I worked for the airline for seven years, and I've driven a bus, and I've been a substitute school teacher, and you know the list goes on. I even ran a farm for a while. Um, and ultimately, back, I wound up in Texas in my 30s, and I started a small repertory theater company. And we ran shows for three years, 33 productions in three years. It was, 
a massively intensive. That's insane. Yeah. Well, we had to pay our bills. And there was no corporations in this town, so the only way we could make money was from ticket revenue. So that meant that we had those shows going all the time. So we'd have two shows in rehearsal and a show on stage. And right, what town in Texas was this? Uh, the town's called Lockhart. It's thirty miles south of Austin. Our it's... audiences were actually coming from Austin. Yeah, but yeah. Austin didn't. We were too far outside of Austin for Austin to consider us part of their inside yeah. theater click. Right. Yeah. I used to live there. Oh, wow. Austin? Yep. How'd you like it? Uh, well, I went to school there. Um, UT? Yep. And uh, it was a mixed bag. There were things about Austin that were really great, and other parts of Austin are still in Texas. Yes, they sure. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny because Austin talks about itself as being the blue bubble. Well, yeah, that's true. It's a blue bubble, but considering what it's surrounded by, it's not that blue. Yeah, yeah. And it can get a little zen sometimes yeah. if you're not from around there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my ancestors were from Texas, and I vowed as a kid growing up, we'd go back and visit my grandparents every other summer. And I was like, I will never live in Texas. And I wound up moving 30 miles away from where my grandparents lived. Total irony in life, right? Right. Avoid saying the words never. Yeah. I've learned. Yeah. Uh, real quick, um, the story you told about Hollywood, that's really harrowing. I. I, I don't know. I guess it's I, I guess it's dumb to be shocked by it, you know, especially if it's in the eighties. It's just uh, it's I'm, still I'm, present today. I'm, yeah, it's not I'm, just in the eighties. It's I'm, still going on. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Actually, I, I I feel like I just I'm not just, but like I remember reading about uh, what's her name, Ellen Page. Yeah. All of a sudden, stopped working. Yeah. Once the word got out. Yeah. Uh, and she's terrific. You know, she's a terrific actor. So, and I just assume, I, I, I remember when I first was reading about that, it was like, well, there's no way they won't keep hiring her. She's too good and she's well known now Mm-mm. and totally seen less of her. Yeah. It, see, it's even worse for men. Um, so oftentimes women can kind of get a pass because men have these fantasies about women together. And so the power players who are mostly male will sometimes be more accepting toward what a world women. we live in. Yeah, Golly. no, no kidding. And let's not forget white. But yeah, uh, yeah. But then when you're dealing with uh, a male, when you're dealing with gay men, then that's that becomes a very hard, hard issue to tackle. Um, so some people have been extremely successful, and I and I and I look at them with a tremendous amount of praise and awe and wonder that they were able to pull it off, and you know. And I admire them tremendously. I wasn't able to do that. Yeah, well, and like what you were talking about, would I? I, I don't think people who uh, aren't members of a group that has been marginalized in some kind of way understand all the time, uh, like the act of will that it takes sometimes to maintain your dignity, to um, be able to be just be who you are, you know, um, in this context that doesn't want to include you yeah it's so it you are right i mean you're absolutely right and so i can only speak from the point of view of being marginalized because i'm gay Mm -hmm. and and i know that i've had all these wonderful opportunities huge advantages because i'm a white man so and in so many ways i've had these amazing opportunities um but it's funny so rusty uh tenant rusty posted on Facebook yesterday this this comment about there was a thread going on here in Portland about casting and whether or not someone who is looking to cast gay characters should be casting gay actors in those parts. And we have this ongoing discussion within the theater community about whether or not we should be casting appropriately people to play roles 
who are actually that ethnicity, that race, whatever, to play those specific roles, right? That that the abilities or lack of abilities as actors to play that. So Rusty had this very long thread in there, and and what he was talking about, which I totally understand, is there is something about uh, living the life of being a person who's gay, which means that so much of your life is closeted, and you're having to make decisions constantly, constantly about whether or not to out yourself to strangers. I mean, constantly, unendingly. And so, you know, Rusty's point of that was it would be very, very difficult for an actor who's not actually lived that experience to really fully represent that experience in a performance. So I've, I'm now shooting this feature film. This is my 12th feature film. Every single solitary one of my movies has been about gay men characters as part of the storyline. And I've had my own debates about whether or not I cast an actor who is gay to play that part or whether I cast an actor who is not. And Initially, when I started back in 2005 making my first feature film, I wanted all the actors who were playing gay characters to be gay men because I wanted them to be able to be honest with their portrayal and to really understand so I didn't have to explain anything. Well, by the time I got to the second movie, I found an actor who was just absolutely positively wonderful as one of the leads, and he wasn't gay. And I was like, well, okay, that idea just went right out the door. I'm casting this actor. And it meant that I spent a little bit more time explaining things, and there were some things that he was not comfortable doing that, I mean, we're not talking sex here, but there was just some, you know, some semi-intimacy things that he was uncomfortable with that we had to really work around and work through. Um, But then from that point forward, I was like, you know, I've got to cast the best actor I possibly can in these roles. Um, so the actor who uh, I'm flying in from Florida, he's married. He's, uh, you know, he presents himself as a straight man. As far as we know, he's heterosexual. He's playing a character who's gay. He's told me that he's been wanting to make a gay themed film for years. He pursued me. He's been campaigning to be in a, one of my movies for a year and a half. This has been such an ongoing, long process. And the total irony of it is that... We're right on the brink, and something awful is happening within his own family that right, right. will cause problems. So. so so I guess Rusty's point is that part of what would make the actor the best actor for the part was to have this background. Is that the other – Yeah, to have the experiences. I mean, to tell you – I mean, all right. So as a similar comparison, there is no way I could step into a role that is written for someone who's of an ethnic minority in whatever culture they're in mm-hmm. and fully con- fully understand all the experiences, the tiny microaggressions, the tiny subtleties of that experience unless I had lived that. Mm-hmm. In my case, it's ironic because I grew up in extremely diverse neighborhoods and communities Texas, when I moved to Texas, was the first time I'd been in such a white majority world, um, and it was stifling, and I hated it. Texas is so extremely segregated. Yeah. yeah. Extremely segregated. And out in public, you either see white people, or you see black people, or you see people who they call Mexicans, which means that they're from somewhere that speaks Spanish at some point. Right. Right. But anybody who is from any of the countries that where they speak Spanish, Texans call them Mexicans, mm-hmm. which is terrible for 
all those. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because see, the reason why I wound up, wound up going to UT was because uh, is because my mom is uh, Mexican American. She's from San Antonio. Okay, um, but like where she? Oh, grew you up, said San Antonio. Yeah, but, but, but like but, but like where she grew up. They're all Mexicans. Like I, I didn't even realize. <laughs> right. You know, it, it took me a while to realize there were as many white people as there are in Texas. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Right. right. That, that, Texas is so incredibly segregated. I mean, where you shop, where every place you go, you're only going within your own community. There's hardly any intermingling within the different cultures of Texas. It's it was very stifling coming from Hollywood High School, where there were 52 languages spoken right. in the students' homes. Right. And then I moved to New York after Texas, and I was like, finally, I'm back in a place that I love because in New York, I could sit on the subway and the person sitting next to me is speaking a language. I can't even begin to guess what that language was. I mean, it was great. I absolutely loved it. It felt awesome. And I was in New York for two years, and I had a family situation come up that brought me suddenly to Portland. So that's why I'm here. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, but you managed to continue your filmmaking here. Yeah, absolutely. So I filmed six movies in Texas. When I was living in New York, I continued filming a couple more features. And now I've made, oh, I guess, four movies while I've lived here in are these uh, full-length features? Oh, yeah, yeah. These are all feature films. Uh, some of them are have been on Netflix, Amazon Prime, and so forth and so nice. on. Nice! Distribution world is changing and shifting constantly. Uh, I've taken a couple of films off to, to the Berlin film market, to the Berlin Alley, which is a huge clearinghouse film festival film market. It uh, has a section that's devoted to gay-themed works. So festival programmers from gay film festivals from all over the world come to Berlin every February, unless there's COVID, and are picking up their titles and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've sold films internationally through that. Uh, plus, I've got aggregators and distributors. So my films are streaming in countries that allow gay-themed content around the globe. God damn. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, just like... There are countries that allow it, and there are countries that don't. Uh, right. I mean, of course. Right. Uh, holy smokes. So, uh, so I had movies playing in China until the Chinese government decided that they would no longer tolerate any homosexual content. That's and also so, interesting that countries go backwards. Yeah, they go backwards. So uh, my first couple of features were streaming in China, and then China shut down on all homosexual content. When and was that? that? Was taken out. So, you know. When was that? Oh, gosh. That was late 2000s, I believe. Crazy. Um, so the stuff you're reading from tonight, is this from uh, your film stuff? Uh, well, actually, I wanted to I, – so I brought in a couple of pieces, mm-hmm. if, if we have time. Yeah. Um, so I have uh, three different kinds of pieces. I, I started writing when I was a little kid, and so I've been journaling um, all my life, and that turned into a blog in 2011. Uh, the first piece that I'd like to read was commissioned by Eleanor O'Brien. She <laughs> – she had a show a couple of years so, ago. Sex. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, she did a show a couple of years ago called Sex We Can. It, was, it played at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. Uh, she sold out the houses. They were packed to the rafters. It was really awesome. But it was a bunch of different pieces from different people talking about sexual experiences and so oh, forth. Oh, Brian, man. She's got a following. She, oh, she's got a huge following. Yeah. Uh, she's got something that's the last Monday night of the month called Stand Up Smut. Which uh, I guested on this past Monday, Monday before. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it was very interesting experience. But uh, but this is a piece that I wrote specifically for her. It's called "Kiss." All right. Your lips are the color 
of the head of your cock. Before I unzip, you already know the color of mine. We used to kiss to say hello, <laughs> goodbye, nice to meet you. You're hot. Let's play sometime. We used to kiss strangers as comrades in the fight against heteronormalization, to embrace each other as members of the same tribe, living in a world unlike us that often doesn't understand, doesn't care, doesn't approve. We used to kiss before there was an app for that, to test the water, to discover each other's vulnerability. We used to kiss because we could. But we stopped kissing because gay cancer was killing our boyfriends, our lovers, our friends, and we didn't know how it was spread. Maybe it was airborne, or in our tears, or on our lips, or maybe there was no such thing as AIDS, and it was a government experiment to wipe out the queers the way our ancestors killed originals with smallpox. We stopped kissing because we wanted to fit in, to be like them, to blend. To be straight, we wanted the same rights and respect. We wanted the same pay and housing and opportunities. We wanted to be accepted, and so we stopped accepting ourselves. We stopped kissing because those who did were sluts and whores. Because kissing implied sex, and sex is only okay, they say, if you don't admit you do it, or don't do it with too many men. Or men you don't know, or men you meet online, or men from work, or the football game, or the rodeo, or men that are too old, or men who are too young. But what if kissing is about desire? Whether you kiss my cock or I lick yours, or neither of us pull down each other's shorts, what if kissing is about the desire to connect with another human being, to tell him? I see you. I accept you as you accept me. No matter what kind of clothing you drive, or car you wash, or where you lay rent, or the size of your swelling mortgage, I accept you as you accept me. As a man who loves men, kissing here on this sidewalk, outside this restaurant, inside this grocery store, because kissing in public. Tells the world we won't let you take away our rights or shove us back into the closet. We kiss to show we belong. All right, all right. Wow. But let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. One of the core parts of our mission at Profile Theater is to engage with our community, to deepen understanding of our world, and foster compassion for each other. In celebrating and sharing our uniqueness with the world, we help build stronger, more resilient communities. That is why we believe organizations like Prism Health are so critical in that journey. Prism Health is committed to community building by providing compassionate, affirming primary health, mental health, and pharmacy services that address the unique needs of the LGBTQ+ community and beyond. You can learn more about Prism Health's mission and services, and decide if they are a good fit for you by visiting www.prismhealth.org. That's www.prismhealth.org. Shine brighter with Prism Health. 
and we are back with voices from the real world. So, uh, what, like, like you said, you wrote that for Eleanor's show. Yeah. What was it? It feels like it was in response to something. Uh, so, uh, I hadn't met Eleanor before this. Um, this started as an open audition experience. And Eleanor's description of what her audience was, was a very diverse audience, very, very diverse, open-minded audience. And so, and she was very, very, she believed in the short bus idea. She wanted to have people from all kinds of sexual different expressions there in a community sharing their experiences with each other. This is her, this is her vision and her dream of what she wants in the world. Right. She's very pro-positive person yes, so on the, so i was the only person there who was a gay man and uh and i brought this piece in because it used to be back in the 70s that gay men did kiss each other casually even when we were meeting total strangers and we did stop because of aids uh, and that's that's the one thing that i feel we lost a great deal of in terms of gay culture because it comes back a little bit, but now I still find that I am only kissing men who I know. I'm not kissing mm. complete and total strangers just in a casual, oh, hey, I'd like you to meet John. Oh, hi, John. That's not happening. Right. Um, so this is still a carryover from the pandemic of 40 years ago, which now we have meds that generally almost always prevent people from passing that virus on. Right. But anyway, so the very first night that we did this performance, the place is full and packed, and I'm looking out in the audience, and as a gay man, my gaydar is pretty good, and I'm looking out, and there is not a single gay man in that crowd. And I do this piece, and at the end of the show, I have people coming up to me telling me how brave I am. Huh. And this was not at all the experience I was expecting. So Eleanor and I spent a lot of time afterward talking this through because I was like, I wrote that piece to be talking to gay men. I wasn't writing that piece for straight people right. to understand something about gays. Right. I was talking to other gay men, right? And so suddenly I became like this token. Huh. Totally unexpected. Not Eleanor's intent either at all in any way. Um, and so, you know, we talked it through and I continued to do the piece and the more and more gay people started coming to the performances and so forth. But it was interesting because there were a lot of very good hearted, very caring, deeply moved people who wanted to show their support of me. But but in so many ways, it was like I was the other of course, yeah, sure. Uh, so when they're saying you're brave, ooh, I was gonna say like, like, what are you hearing? Um, but I guess like that's a, like, like they're saying, right? Because you're you're writing, oh, like you're writing an expression of this one thing, but they're seeing, they're hearing, um. Uh, what you what you just said, what it's like on the other side, you know. Well, it, it's sort of. I, I'll give you a comparison. Maybe this is a terrible comparison. Maybe it's horrible. But uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on in Black Lives Matter, there are people who are protesting, and then there are people who are allies. But oftentimes, the people who are not white, excuse me, the people who are white, don't fully understand all of the experiences, and microaggressions that are going <laughs> yeah, on with people who are black. Maybe. Right. <laughs> And maybe I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> so 
in some ways, it's the exact same thing. It would be like me as a white person walking up to someone who is marching, leading the Black Lives Matter march and say, boy, you're so brave. Yeah. No, I got you. I got you. And I can only imagine that their feeling would be similar to my feeling, which was really just. (laughs) No, I'm just writing about kissing. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, what's the next piece? Okay, so uh, the second piece was, uh, there's an artist, uh, uh, Sid DeLuca is an artist, he's a queer artist. He is in Astoria, Oregon these days. He does collage work, and he had at one point intended to do a coffee table book with his collage pieces, and then there would be something written by different writers on each piece that kind of inspires him. It's sort of like a writing prompt. Okay. So the collage book apparently is not coming together or won't come together or whatever, but I wrote this piece for it um, in order to understand this. So Sid's collages are wild, um, and, the, and the collage piece was an old bridge. These are usually like magazine clippings, magazine um, images from ads and so forth that he cuts together to create the collage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's an old bridge, and there was a couch, and there's a car in this imagery, right? So, you know, here I had this image to create a, a story. So this is a story. The cool. story is called That's It. A bridge ain't sexy. That's all Isaac said. As if to, as if to justify the broken windshield, their paraplegic cat the gully between them, the Christmas tree burning in the front yard. Sam Sam, Samuel, to his mother, parked the car in the far corner of the lot, away from the other deploying troops and their tearful wives, bawling children. A lanky, buzz-cut boy was running around the cars, waving a giant flag, a true patriot, the soldier who will replace his father in six years. Sam Sam stared at the spectacle, unable to look at Isaac in the passenger seat. I hate this. You're not the one going. Isaac scraped his fingernail over Big Bag Mac stain on his desert camo pants. And don't say hate. We got too much of that here. What we got here is a parking lot of brotherly love. Sam Sam pointed. That kid loves his country. The feeling ain't mutual. Isaac tore at the toilet paper roll, skewered on the handbrake. He spit on the wad in his hand, then ground it into the greasy mustard stain. The stain spread. Sam Sam watched. Just tell me straight out, you enlisted to get away so we can have a clean break. Why do you do this to me, baby? Why are you attacking me at the last minute? Isaac made eye contact for the first time that morning. I'm not attacking you. Sam Sam threw his left arm out and hit the windshield. I just want the truth. None of this, this way I can get a decent job bullshit. Isaac jumped. How am I going to pay for college? McDonald's. You going to pay my tuition? You heard what Melanie said, Sam Sam pointed toward home. She took her army money and wasted four more years getting a bullshit degree from a bullshit college and nobody wants to give her a job. Taking a breath, Isaac spoke deliberately. She can't get a job because she's lazy and shows up with a bad attitude. The only reason she gave up her cat is because she didn't want to clean the box. She couldn't afford the vet. Isaac broke. I joined the National Guard so I could pay the fucking bills for your fucking cat. Okay. Outside, the teenage patriot let his flag fall as he turned to the commotion in the car. Isaac stared at Sam Sam and lowered his voice. I'm not leaving you. I just can't afford you.
Sam-Sam watched Isaac, watched his eyes moisten, saw his puffed-up bravado crumple, watched him sink into his seat. I didn't want this, Isaac choked. I didn't want to fight. I don't want to be with those people or put up with the stupid shit. I can't spend the rest of my life on that fucking sleeper sofa. Sam-Sam laughed. He couldn't help it. Isaac started to laugh, too. It's killing my back. Sam-Sam, Mama Sofa would kill us both. Isaac, I think she gave it to us out of spite. Sam-Sam, she gave us those exploding Christmas tree lights out of spite. The couch was heading to goodwill. Isaac brushed the wad of toilet paper under his running nose. Get us a bed for when I come back. Sam-Sam, I'll find us a king-size bed. Isaac, not too big. I want to be able to roll over on you when I get the urge. Sam-Sam put his hand on Isaac's thigh. Isaac covered the hand with his own. They leaned in together. They kissed. I want you to be a civil engineer, Isaac, Sam-Sam whispered. I really do. Isaac took it in and held the thought as he kissed Sam-Sam again. Thank you. Sam-Sam squeezed Isaac's hand. Isaac pulled Sam-Sam close. He held him tight, as if to protect him from everything Isaac couldn't control. Be safe. You be safe. Maybe when you're an engineer, you can fix that fucking bridge that fell on our windshield. As they parted, both men knew there were far worse dangers in their lives ahead. All right. That was terrific. Um, autobiographical elements? Any, where did that story come from? Um, I don't know. Huh. Not autobiographical. Truly inspired by the by the piece that Sid DeLuca created. Yeah. And, you know, life. Uh, and, and the, I mean, there was, there's a lot going on in the world. There, you know, there are people who are joining the military in order to get college funding so they can go to college. Were those some people of the with images, college too? degrees who don't who aren't able to use their college degrees and all that stuff. So, Were, were some of the images uh, military or National Guard or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was great. So anyway, uh, so those are different pieces. And then, of course, uh, what I'm working on right now is this movie. Um, so I have made message movies. Um, I've made romance. I've made action-adventure films. Um, people ask me what genre I work in. And other than the fact that the central characters are gay, there's been no genre. I, um, there are a lot of filmmakers who tend to make sort of the same movie over and over again, or at least they fall into a rut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't want to do that. I'm always looking to learn new things with each each film. Right. And so for this time, we went through this whole pandemic. Things have been depressing. And I was feeling like we need some comedy. We need something lively to lighten the load. And uh, So a year ago, summer, I was driving over to my boyfriend's house, and they were talking about the possibility of a vaccine, but we didn't know yet if any vaccine was going to work, and there are all these trials and experiments going on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. What are the vaccines? I mean, you know, what if it made you gay? And I was going, you know, that's total irony and absolutely absurd. And I was going, yes, that's it. That's completely campy absurd. This is like gay campy idea. And so I was going, okay, I'm going to write a script of a campy gay screwball comedy um, about, you know, people get a vaccine and it turns them gay. Great. So anyway, so the thing of it is, is with campy gay humor, you think of like John Waters. 
So these movies are sort of a cross of John Waters and uh, like What's Up Doc or um, Bringing Up Baby or some of the other films. So it's got all the the tropes of a screwball comedy, plus it's got a lot of camp in it too. Um, So anyway, so we're we're in the middle of filming it. Um, On Sunday, I filmed part of a scene and what happens in these scenes is that there are people talking on the phone and on one side of the screen you see one person talking on the phone and the other side you see the other person and they're continuous takes. There's no edits in these takes. So the challenge is that I filmed the one actor first and then the other actors have to listen to that performance of that actor and match up their dialogue as if they're having the phone conversation with that person, right? Um, So what I did is I brought with me the recording of Yelena King, who recorded her role. She plays the role of Carrie in this movie. So I'm going to try to fill in the other actor roles. Oh, right. <laughs> Love it. To Carrie's performance, Yelena King's performance. Uh, and what you need to know about this is that Carrie, uh, Yelena King's character, is the person who's running the clinical trials for this suppository that supposedly is supposed to make men more viral. It's virile. Excuse me. Virile. It's supposed to make them more virile. It's like a, a Viagra, a permanent Viagra change. But it turns out what she didn't know is that if they take a double dose of the suppository, this is what turns them gay okay got it so um so she has two phone calls right in a row the very first one is with larry and i play larry in the movie and then it immediately she clicks over and gets another phone call to uh the character named barry barry is the actor that i'm flying in from florida who we hope will be here so got it i'm gonna voice both parts and we'll see what happens shall we yep okay take it away here we go I hate to break it to you, Larry, but you're not the man you promised to be. I have to see you. Oh, yeah? Last night, did you did you put something up my, you know... No, I don't know. What are you asking? Did you insert that <laughs> suppository thing inside my ass? That lot of good it did. You turned me gay. Now, that is the worst thing a man has ever said to me. I don't turn you on fine, but I don't make you gay. Your treatment, you double-dosed me. I took the treatment earlier. You gave me a second uh, injection. It made me gay. You are off your rocker. I'm not the only one. There's another guy who double-dosed, and he turned gay. Men do not turn gay. You either are or you aren't. Well, I wasn't yesterday morning, but I am now. The guy who double-dosed, you're not supposed to do that. He slipped a second one when the lab tech wasn't looking. Everything is changed. I, I smell things I didn't used to smell. I see colors I didn't notice before. All these other men I assumed were straight are coming on to me. I saw a man wearing socks with sandals, and it disgusted me. Were socks dirty? You don't wear socks with... Anyone with taste knows. Look, there's something wrong with that treatment. Maybe you're just a latent homosexual living in denial. <laughs> I'm not denying anything. It was great. I loved it. So you are a homosexual. After you double-dosed it's me. A freaking treatment, for God's sake. That turns men into horny teenagers. Sometimes question the moral implications of that. So you were gay as a teenager. No, I wasn't. I had girly mags under my mattress. Girly mags. Classy. I got another call. And she hangs up and answers the next call. Carry over. Hey, listen, we got to talk sometime, but I don't want you to tell Terry. Huh? What you got in mind? I thought you were married. This is just between us. Oh, yeah? Well, I don't fool around with people who work for Terry. Oh, it's about that treatment. What about it? I don't want to talk about this on the phone. Get to the point. I think maybe it's making me think about things a little differently. Not much. I mean, I barely notice. But is it possible when you first get the treatment, a guy might feel kind of turned on by things he's not normally turned on by? No. It just <laughs> makes you more viral. It couldn't make a guy different, right? I mean, he'd still be, you know, a man's man. 
Yeah. Whatever that means. I mean, it wouldn't make someone no, gay. No, that is a scientific impossibility. Everyone knows a boy is turned gay during pregnancy because his mother's too stressed or has too many mouths to feed and needs help. It's epigenetics. Look it up. Okay, okay, whatever that is. But, I mean, what if someone theoretically took a double dose? You only administered one. I know, but what if? Can you undo no, it? No, you can't undo the treatment. It, it goes to work on your prostate and it makes permanent changes. It, it turns on certain genes that normally shut down as you age. But can't you shut them down again if no, you want? No, if you didn't want the treatment, you shouldn't have taken the treatment. I'm just asking. This treatment's safe. I, I spent my entire career researching the science. It's a miracle cure. When it hits the market, it'll generate billions of dollars in revenue. It, nothing can go wrong. Don't ask me questions like that again. All right. Uh, that's going to be a hilarious movie. Uh, yeah. We're, and we're, you're... Uh, we're having a lot of fun. I mean, you're, that actor is terrific. Uh, yeah, Yelena Kang, she's amazing. She's a Portland actor. Um, this is not her real voice. Uh, I, I gathered. I gathered. <laughs> uh, she's a hooch. We also filmed a scene this weekend where she was coming on to me in a restaurant scene. And I mean, I, I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. It, was, it was flipping hilarious. Right. So she's uh, what's the name of that movie going to be? It's Pocket Mouse Protector. Pocket Mouse Protector. Right on. Uh, and if you, if you want to know more about the movie, you can just go to my website, which is paulbrightfilms.com. And right there at the very head is everything about Pocket Mouse Protector. Right on. Uh, Paul, that is just about our time. That sounds like it's going to be a great movie. Thank you for sharing. Uh, great work today. Uh, awesome. You know, um, it's and great to see you, Bobby. It is. It in is person. good to see you. And we're going to start seeing people in person and even seeing like your full face because everybody in the studio is vaxxed. Um, uh, so, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Absolutely. And that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World. Voices from the Real World was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, Lion Producer, Robert A. K. Gagno, Sound Engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, Composer, and was recorded at the Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bermea and this is Community Profile, voices from the real world, real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash communityprofile. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at bobbyb at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out.